Somebody needs to change the world. Let me tell you why. There's so much neediness in the world. It's too broken. The world is too stuck in its ways, and uh, nobody's in charge. Take my dog, for example. He's always in petting distance. If you have a golden retriever, you know what I'm talking about. No matter where you are, he's right there. You sit down, whoop, he shows up. You sit down to eat, whoop, he's under the table. He's right on your hip the whole time. He is so needy. He's always hungry. Like I feed him and four minutes later, he comes back looking for more. He always wants to go outside. I let him go outside, and then he wants to come back in. Do you have a dog who does this? Stands at the door. You let him out. He turns around and stands at the door. <laughs> I think he likes playing. I've, I've told this story. I had a picture. I didn't bring it today. When I mow the lawn, he uh, has a ball, and he brings it and puts it right in front of where I'm going to mow. I take the ball, and I throw it. He <laughs> gets it, brings it back to the next cut line so that he disturbs me on the next pass. He's not as dumb as he looks. My dog is so needy. He's so needy. Maybe your husband's like this. He always needs a cheeseburger. All right, can you relate? Like, I never met a husband who, if you asked him, do you feel like a cheeseburger? He said, nah, not really. Let's have some kale. You know? <laughs> this is universally true, right? I never met a dude who's like, if his wife says, you know, I just really think we should go out for cheeseburgers and poutine. He's like, nah. Right? Ladies, if you want to uh, be kind to your husband once in a while, ask him out on a date. Say, honey, I'm going to go out for a cheeseburger. Your husband will love you. Your husband's pretty needy. Maybe your wife has the need to talk all the time. The world is full of needy people. It's crazy. Your toddlers are like this. Do you ever notice they always want to be picked up? And then you pick them up like they want something. They don't want anything. They just kind of sit there. And then they want down. You know when they do that, this thing? Like if you didn't catch them, they like face plant. And then they want back out. And then they want down. And then they want a toy. They ever like scream at you until you gave them like the dish you were holding? This is a contest of wills. The second you gave in, they're going to do this. And then they're going to smile. Toddlers are ridiculous. They're so needy. When they're not being needy, they're breaking things. Have you noticed that everything's always breaking? Netflix is down. It's crazy. I don't know why. The light bulbs keep burning out. Like, I keep buying new light bulbs, and they keep burning out. And I was thinking, like, we sent a man to the moon when? Like, in the 60s? Was it the 60s, Dad? And we can't make a light bulb that doesn't burn out? It's crazy. Light bulb, my van is leaking oil. The toilet is clogged. God help me. I have 14, 14, four teenagers living in my house. The toilet is always clogged. And it's, like, my job to plunge it. And no one told me it was going to be my job to always plunge the toilet. They didn't tell me that in home ec class. I often think I should have focused harder in home ec class. Dang. You might have a relationship that's broken. Maybe you feel like you're broken. The world is broken, and it never changes. It's like George Bonks. You never change. Why does the world never change? Well, because change is hard. You know, I want to lose six pounds. Okay, um, no more snacks after dinner. You lift weights every other day with cardio in between. Also, no more chocolate cake. The chocolate cake thing has gotten so crazy, by the way, that, like, a family showed up at my house last week with a slice of chocolate cake. It's like, we had this. It was awesome. We thought of you. It's like, 
It was fantastic, by the way. But y'all trying to make me fat. I was like, more chocolate cake. What? You mean I need to change my habits? Speaking of change, have you seen all the change that's happened in our lifetime? Think about it. Cell phones like were invented in our lifetime. And the cell phone companies are still annoying. We got all this change, but nothing changes. Taxes are still too high. Every time we elect a new government, they're like, we're going to lower taxes. They're all liars. Taxes keep going up. You know how many times I wanted to tweet out this winter? Hey, at City of Guelph, how about them roads? But I didn't because I'm a pastor. I don't want to pick any fights. <laughs> Except on Sunday. Gas is too expensive. Anyone else suspicious about the carbon tax? I'm like, really? What are we really going to spend that money on? For real? You still don't want to go see your in-laws. Right? Something's changed. Something's never changed. And the Leafs lost last night. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Also, by the way, when was the last time you did something altogether new? I'll say it again in case you missed it. When was the last time you did something altogether new? And have you noticed that no one's in charge? I almost went to war with Microsoft last month because they would not give me anybody who could solve my problem. Have you noticed this? Customer service is great until you want money. When you want money, whoop, everything grinds to a halt. I'm, I'm sorry, sir, I don't have the authority to make that decision. It's hard to be a Christian, isn't it? Because you've got to stay calm if you say, well, get me somebody. Can I get a witness? You want money. Nobody's in charge. Can somebody show me somebody who's in charge so I can get what I need? Oops. I guess I better listen to Mark too. And you probably should too. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported, we're talking about Jesus here, that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. I love these guys. When they had made an opening, they lay down the bed, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went on again beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee. It's really just a lake. And all the crowd were coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well, this is my favorite verses in all of the New Testament, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. 
I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. In that day, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for new wineskins. One Sabbath, fourth vignette. He was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why are they not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David said when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Yatar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. As if I'm going to preach this sermon in 12 minutes. Help me, Jesus. Uh, in a world of need, brokenness, and an aversion to risk, or trying something new, where it seems like no one is in charge, here's what you need to do if you want to change the world. You need to see the needy, you need to heal the broken, you need to be something new in the world, and you need to act like you own the place. In other words, you need to be like Jesus. Section 1, contained in verses 1 through 12. Jesus comes back. He's been ministering in Galilee. He comes back to his town where he's living at the time, Capernaum, right on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. He comes home. And when he returned, verse 1, when he returned, I want to point out to you that Jesus is the protagonist. He's the protagonist of this story. He is the protagonist of the Gospel of Mark. But not just that. He is the protagonist of your life as well. If you want to really see the need around you, I'm not meaning just be aware of it. If you really want to see the need around you, get your eyes off of yourself and get them onto the real hero of the story. You could go home after that one point and it would serve you well. You want to see the need in the world around you? Get your eyes off yourself and get them onto the real hero of the story. That would be Jesus. See, wherever Jesus is, you'll find needy people who just need to be seen. Wherever he goes. See this in verse 2. And many were gathered together. He came home. People hear about it. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Jesus draws a crowd. The truth of this is simple. What people need is Jesus. What people respond to is Jesus. We need to keep this in mind as Christians and as church people. What our friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers really need is not a new strategy. <clears throat> How many of you have tried a strategy that has failed? Wave your hand at me. If you ever tried a strategy, work for a minute and then it quit. All right, put your hand down. So we don't need a new strategy. We don't need a better program. Some of you ever signed up for like a program, sticks for a few weeks, and then it quits. Not a me. Has it ever happened to you? Right? You don't need a new strategy. You don't need a new program. If you want to see the need around you, see it through Jesus as the lens. So like, look, if you have need in your own life, the way to deal with that need is to get your eyes off your need and onto Jesus. 
It's also true when you see need in others. If you really want to see it, see it through Jesus as the focal point. The answer to the neediness of the world and the neediness in you is Jesus. You need him so bad that you should do whatever it takes to get to him. This is what happens in verses 3 through 5. I call this the, uh, the four homies and their paralyzed friend. Four dudes from Capernaum, they have a friend who's paralyzed. He wants to go see Jesus. Obviously, he can't. So they're like, we'll help you. We're going to bring you to Jesus. Here's something that you find in the original language. In the original language, the paralyzed guy suffers from palsy. So he's not necessarily paralyzed, meaning he can't walk. He suffers from palsy. And what I really like about this is that if he suffered from palsy, if you know anything about that, you know that it can get progressively worse as you age. Sometimes you're born with cerebral palsy and you are crippled right from birth. But sometimes when you suffer from seizures, epilepsy, palsy, spasms, these kinds of disorders, they get worse and worse over time. And I imagine that this was probably what was happening with this man because how many friends do you know who like build a life with a paraplegic four-year-old to the point that they can, you know, carry him to Jesus someday in his adulthood. Right? You just don't hang out with paralyzed people that much. Right? You live in two different worlds. I wonder if this guy had been their friend growing up and then he got sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker until the day came when the great rabbi's in town and he wants to go see him, but he can't. We got you, man. We got you. The four homies. And their paralyzed friend. Point for you. Look, sometimes bad things happen along the way. You testify to this? Life ain't easy. All right? So if your life ain't easy, I just want you to know that you're biblical. Everybody deals with this. It's totally normal. Sometimes bad things happen along the way. You're not alone. Second thing I like about this. You know, sometimes in life, you're going to need to be carried. Can you testify? The problem is, we Westerners, affluent, educated, successful, we don't like anybody to help us, right? You like this? When I was starting out, I told my wife, I was like, we are not going to ask for help until we can't buy one more box of Kraft Dinner. Like, who did I get that twisted idea from? My Scottish grandfather, maybe? I don't know. Oh, you're, you're fine. Rub some dirt on it and get back up. <laughs> Instead of tapping out saying, uncle, I need some help. Okay, I'm very guilty of this. Sometimes you need to be carried, so accept help. Third thing I like about this, the four homies and their paralytic friend. The best kind of friend will take you to Jesus. Be a good friend to your friends. Okay, you will come to a point where they don't need one more cup of coffee. What they need, I can preach today. Oh, here's a cup of living water. Amen? Okay, it may not be right away, but you will get to a point where to be a good friend to your friend, you need to just bring them to Jesus. The best friends carry their friends to Jesus. You want to truly see the need in the world around you, carry it to Jesus. See, friends, when you see need as something that only Jesus can answer, you are now seeing need for what it really is. As long as you see need as something that you can deal with, you haven't really understood what need truly is. But when you get to that soul-crushing place where you're at the end of your wits and you realize, I can't do it anymore, that's when you're ready for Jesus. In fact, that's my favorite definition of repentance. Help me, Jesus, I can't. I can't do it anymore. A sage wiser than me said, at the end of yourself, you find the beginning of God. 
also want you to notice that Jesus has time for you. In fact, he makes time for you. The four homies are tearing the roof apart while Jesus is preaching inside. You can bet this is God the Son made flesh we're talking about here. So he probably knows they're coming. He heard them climbing the roof. This house wasn't big. Like, the whole house was the size of this one section of seating. I've seen it. It's in Capernaum. Foundations are there to this day. Right there. It's like that big. So he's inside that house. People are packed around outside, listening through the door. He can hear them climbing. I bet you he smiled when the first bit of dirt fell into his hair. This is how good Jesus is. He's not troubled that they're interrupting his sermon. In fact, the second they actually broke through the roof, and the crowd started to react, maybe some in consternation, I bet you he said this, don't worry, he's with me. Again, the Bible doesn't say that he said this, but he acted like it. Because no sooner do they lower this man down through the roof, than seeing their faith, he looks at him and says, my son, literally in the Greek, technon, my offspring. Woo-hoo! You're the offspring of God the Son made flesh. My son, your sins are forgiven you. He makes time for you. Jesus has time for you. This means by extension that he has time for others. This means if you're one of Jesus' people, you should make time for others. If you want to reduce it down to t-shirt level, be nice, like Jesus. Y'all know me that i got to work in that area. Constantly working to be nice because Jesus is nice. When he sees the faith of the four homies, he looks at the paralytic guy and he says, My son, your sins are forgiven. This is mind-blowing. Why? Because Jesus sees their faith. These are just normal people like you and me. He sees your faith. By extension, he sees the lack of faith that lives in your heart and mind. Why do I point that out? Just to remind you that we can't fake him out. Okay, so you often get people who come to church, usually for the first time, and they're expecting something very religious, you know, very organized, very straight. They start getting like nervous because it's not like that at all. And I just want to use this moment to remind you that the best kind of church is a church that's honest and authentic and doesn't pretend that they've got the bull by the horns. Okay, we don't pretend like we've got, I've got. Peace like a river, I've got peace like a... No, I've got peace like a dripping faucet in my soul. Right? We're limping our way home to Zion. Let's not pretend otherwise. Jesus sees your faith. He knows when you lack it, so stop trying to fake him out. Most importantly, he forgives the paralytic, not because of anything the paralytic did. Okay, like maybe he asked his friends to take him to see Jesus, granted, but no direct action was taken by the paralytic. Okay? Grace is not self-actualized. The thing that's beautiful about grace is that you're going to need some help with it. It's kind of the point, right? Grace is merit or favor undeserved. You're, you're going to need some help. <clears throat> you're going to need some help. We believe God acts. We respond in love. Also, this is my favorite point from this sequence. Do you notice that uh, Jesus doesn't give him what at first blush he needs? Son, your sins are forgiven you. Thank you, Jesus, but um, how about my legs? That'll preach good. We think we know what we need, but Jesus knows better. The tougher your situation, the tougher this will be to believe. Therefore, let your prayer lists be prayed with a healthy dose 
of nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord, quoting Mark 14, 36, because Jesus often does the unexpected. This is what the um, nitpicking religious elite can't stand. Um, uh, well, why is he saying this? No one can forgive sins except God alone. For those of you at the back, my name tag says, Hi, my name is Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious elite, the religious establishment. If you've been following Jesus for 10 years or more, you, like me, need one of these name tags. Hi, my name is Pharisee. I've been following Jesus since I was 11. I am part of the religious elite. Not only have I been following him since I was 11, I've been studying him since I was 14. Not only have I been studying him since I was 14, I've been preaching his gospel since I was 19. Okay, the only persons in the room more Pharisaic than me are probably my parents and Elmer and Elvira. Why? I'm not saying that to offend you or my sweet parents. You've been following Jesus longer than me, and so the built-in tendency that comes with the Christian religion has deeper roots in you than it does in me. It's not like I don't have the roots. They're going to get there by the time I get to where you are. Do you see? My name is Pharisee, so if you've been following Jesus for a while, I want us to know that all this stuff is meant to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So forgive me, I've written this next sequence to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. <clears throat> He's blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. On the surface, they are correct. On the surface, they are correct. Let us never allow our desire for correctness, be it moral, ethical, theological, organizational, or political, to cause us to miss the plain truth that God the Son made flesh is standing right in front of you, and they are tut-tut-tutting over incorrect theology. One person say amen. Do you see? God the Son made flesh is standing in the room, and they're tut-tut-tutting over incorrect theology. It makes me crazy about religious people like me who tut-tut-tut over their pet causes. Is that normal, broken people who really need the Jesus that these so-called religious people supposedly have? These normal people have no idea what the hell we're talking about. I told you I would use the word. It's biblical. I was in the room years ago when Tony Campolo did something similar, except he used a nastier word than I just used. And he famously said, and half of you are more concerned that I just use that word than you are about the poor. You have no idea what we're talking about. The drug addict isn't losing any sleep over their morality that you may consider questionable. They're just trying to break free from their meth habit. The single mom doesn't even own an ankle-length skirt. All she owns are like normal tight pants and short skirts. She's just trying to survive. You're like, what are you talking about? I grew up in churches where if a single mom walked in looking like a single mom from the normal world, some of the skirt-wearing homeschoolers in the room would look down their noses at her. The idiot husband had an alcoholic father who beat him, and he's never read a book in his life, let alone Leviticus. So, like, chill with your theology lectures and take him out for a beer and wings and talk about how Jesus has changed your life. That he'll understand. In six years, you can invite him to read Leviticus. Six years. Jesus knows that this inner dialogue is going on. Why, do you, why are you grumbling in your heart? 
but so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Pow! He heals the paralytic. It's like, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you or rise, take up your cot and walk? In the Greek, it's literally four words to eight words. Okay, but so that you'll know that I have authority. Pow! He heals the paralytic. Let's stop worrying about being correct and let's focus instead on being like Jesus, the one who sees. Let's focus instead on being like Jesus, the one who heals the broken. Let me paraphrase for you. Sequence two. This happens in verses 13 through 17. He's going for a walk. A crowd's following him. He bumps into Levi, the tax collector. He says to follow him. Levi invites him over for a dinner party. Jesus sits down at a dinner party. And over in that corner, you got Donald Trump and Doug Ford chuckling about something. Over in this corner here, we got Justin Trudeau and Hillary Clinton whispering about something. Snoop Dogg and Lady Gaga are writing a song in the back corner, and Lady Gaga is definitely high. I'm not sure about Snoop Dogg. Um, the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders are over there, and they're doing everything they can, very well, in fact, to get the attention of LMFAO, who are like doing the running man right here in like response to something the cheerleaders are doing. And uh, Rihanna, oh, wait a minute, there goes Will Ferrell, and he's streaking. Oh, I want to go with, with, I'll be with you in a second, Will. Hang on from, what's that, Rihanna? Oh, Rihanna's just passed you a blunt that she got from Bieber, who's calling very loudly for more wine while Jesus asks you to pass the hummus. And you're like, wait a minute. If you had even the slightest bit of wait a minute rise up in your heart as I kind of walked us through that, then hi, your name is Pharisee. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why is he eating with sinners and tax collectors? He shouldn't be doing that. It's inappropriate. This one word I hate hearing in church is inappropriate. And then Jesus stands up. I can't say this quiet. Ladam family, I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm, I'm preaching today. I'm preaching today. Jesus stands up. In verse 17, and he says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who are strong have no need of a healer, but the ones evilly having. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You want to change the world? Remember that Jesus came for the broken. Also, let's keep in mind that the religious establishment never has any idea how broken they are. They've forgotten Romans 3. For there is no one righteous, no, not one. Or 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You think you're good? You're not good. So stop trying, and most importantly, stop trying to force others to act like they're good. Instead, be like the one who heals the broken. Like the one who is something altogether new. Verses 18 through 22. Again with the whining. The disciples of the Pharisees fast, and John's disciples fast. How come your people never fast? Well, one, I'm with them, so it's party time. Following Jesus should be fun. And if you come across as a joy killer to the world, no wonder Costco's packed and churches are empty. Put a smile on your face, get some joy in your heart, and live the kind of exemplary life that your neighbors can't resist. I don't know what they got. 
I'm pretty sure it's not because of the gummy bears that are now legal. I want to go find out what it is that they got that I don't got. Y'all feel me? Get some joy in your heart. Put a smile on your face. Get some effervescence in your lifestyle so that people who are despairing because the world is so hard looking, you go, I feel real awkward about this, but I just got to find out because I can't stand it anymore. Following Jesus is supposed to be fun. Also, he says, look, I'm doing a whole new thing here in terms of how people relate to God. Jesus is not so much about what you do for him. In fact, listen to our favorite two words in the Greek. Our two favorite words when it comes to newness are naos and kainos, right? Naos and kainos. They come up again and again and again throughout the New Testament. So listen to them here. Listen to what he says about the wine and the wineskins. Ala oinon neon esaskus kainos Leteon, but wine fresh into wineskins that are all together new is poured. The new way in Jesus requires something altogether new from you. Also, I want you to note that the drive towards newness never stops. Even at the end of all things, Jesus is still at it when he says, and I love to quote it from Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. And again, hear it in the Greek. It's one of our favorite words. Kaina. Pantapoyo. Sounds like Jabba the Hutt, doesn't he? Right? Kaina pantapoyo. Kaina. All together new. I am making things. So friends, if you want to change the world, live like an innovator. If you want to be Jesus' partner as he heals the world. And fourth and finally, worship team, I'm almost done. Act like you own the place. This is the point of verses 23 through 28. Again with the Pharisees. It's a Sabbath day walk. You know, he was like, you're restricted to how far you could walk on the Sabbath. It's crazy. So they're walking on the Sabbath, and obviously the Pharisees are like stalking him because the second his disciples start plucking heads of grain, I grew up in Israel, you do this. Like the grain, you just pluck a head, you break it open, you can eat it from the bottom. They're doing this, and the Pharisees are like, excuse me, excuse me. Why are they doing what is unlawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus, I mean... God bless Jesus, God the Son made flesh. At this point, I'm surprised that he, because in the Old Testament, there are times he would like open up the ground and swallow up evil people, you know. He's <laughs> being very patient at this point. He's like, um, have you not heard about David, King David, who did what it is not lawful to do? He ate the bread of the presence that only the priests are allowed to eat. He did this back in the section that includes the high priest of Yatag, who was the most famous priest in that section of the scripture. You're breaking the rules. <clears throat> Jesus ain't big on rules. <clears throat> right? <clears throat> Jesus ain't big on rules. Uh, so if you want to be like Jesus, oh, wait a minute. How do we know he's not big on rules? He says, well, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. And anyways, um, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know what Jesus is saying here? I'm God. Buzz off. So if you want to be like Jesus, <clears throat> act like you own the place, because he does, and you belong to him. It's very attractive. I'm God, stop bugging me. Oh, that's your God, that's your savior, that's the leader of your movement. That kind of confidence is what you get to follow all the days of your life. 
That kind of confidence is also what got him into trouble. In the very next scene, the beginning of Mark chapter 3, next week, again, over a Sabbath controversy, the religious elite start plotting to kill him. You see, the problem with Jesus is not that he was a preacher or a healer or a social revolutionary. People's problem with Jesus is that he claimed to be God. And the question that Jesus will ask his disciples coming up in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, still echoes down the ages to you, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is he, um, you know, a spiritual sage like Buddha? Is he a political revolutionary like Muhammad? Is he um, one more made-up deity in a pantheon of gods like Krishna and Osiris and Kim Kardashian? Or is he God the Son made flesh who became a man and went to a cross to hang there, suffering and dying in your place for your sins? So that the penalty for your sin and mine might be laid upon his shoulders. So that he might die the death that you should have died. But because he was God the Son, he would not stay dead, but he would rise again in victory. Come to church next week at Easter. He will rise again in victory, defeating the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell in his body once and for all. Then ascending to his Father's right hand, sitting down in victory to begin interceding for you. Which means he is the Dallas cheerleaders when it comes to you. He's your cheering section, and he won't stop cheering until he comes back someday to inaugurate his kingdom, which will have no end. A kingdom in which you, my friend, have a place on this hinge turns the universe. If he isn't who he said he was, then choose your own adventure and good luck to you. And, you know, get ready for a life of never-ending fighting where your neediness leads to brokenness. And, you know, despite the fact that deep down you know better, you never change. Um, You know, constantly chasing your tail, trying to adapt to a world where no one is in charge. Or bend your knee and adapt your way of life to King Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, who sees the needy, heals the broken, is making all things new, including you, and who is absolutely and completely in charge. The ultimate humanist, non-legalist, who always puts people over process. You want to change our needy, broken, change-averse, anarchist world? Be like Jesus, the real hero of the story.